0: Happy Monday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I am Steve Day, He's Totters, and he is Aaron McIntyre. Woke up feeling a little different this morning, gentlemen. I am almost nine months away from being 50 years old, and I am officially a father in law. I think I'm officially old. What's weird is I don't feel old, like I don't feel like it. But
1: you shouldn't. I think I like last night. I I think I'm officially
0: old. First of all, thank you to thank you for that, Todd. I need to mention this from the outset. I mean, uh, the amount of you that emailed the show, uh, reached out via social media, and uh, congratulated our family and uh, my oldest uh, Anastasia in particular. I again, the show's grown too much. I just. Which is a good problem to have, obviously. <laughs> You'd rather have that than the other one, right? Uh, but it just, it, um, there's always a trade off. Uh, the more the show grows, the harder it is for me to engage all of you individually. Like when we were just this uh, cute little engine that could, I was able to do that. And so uh, let me take the time right here from the top of the program to thank all of you for all of the well wishes and congratulations and kind comments and prayers and uh, just. Um, our whole entire family was very touched by that. So thank you very much. We had a phenomenal day yesterday with uh, with Anna's wedding and um, hardest speaking engagement I've ever had. They asked me to officiate it and I'm rem- I was reminded when they asked me of what my Huckabee once told me about the vice presidency. It's the job no one wants, but no one can say no at the exact same time, right? And, and I would, thought I was, you know, you guys were on me all week long that I was going to break down. And I thought I was in total control until you guys all started showing up, okay? When you guys all started showing up, then I kind of started to lose control a little bit. And then when Anna puts her arm into mine as we get ready to walk down the aisle, and she goes, you cannot look at me or I'm going to break down. And so I was kind of I was kind of teetering the rest of the time there, and it was uh, just I mean it was just a blessed event, man. I don't know what else to say. I mean we got a chance to see some friends and family I haven't seen in way too long. It. Um you can really get into your own kind of myopic sphere when you're raising your own family and years go by and there are friends of yours and members of the family that you used to, you know, have great relationships with and it just gets lost in the passage of time but then you see each other in an event like this and just kind of pick things up, you know, like you've been still hanging out after all this time, you know, just everybody looks a lot older. It was just a really cool event, man. And and here's the one thing I was concerned about, Aaron. You mentioned to me on Friday, you guys are having a full dinner, right? And I said, oh, yeah. You're like, okay because Bella and I have high expectations. So we let Anna pick the entire menu. Right. And uh, I knew there was going to be pulled pork there, but I didn't know what the fixings and stuff would be. And so they brought all the food in. I'm like. I don't know if Aaron and Bella can eat any
2: of this. Oh, no. You know? Oh, no, we could. Okay. All right, good. Yeah. All right, good. We had it, the meats, that's for sure. All right, good, good. I had the cheesy, I mean, it was it was fantastic, by the way. The cheesy potatoes had a little kick of spice in them, too. Yeah. I mean, that was good.
0: I mean, the mac and cheese was great. I'm, I looked at Noah, my son, I'm like, this mac and cheese is tremendous. He goes, I don't know, Dad, it's okay. I'm like, well, we haven't had mac and cheese in about eight months. It's pretty <laughs> tremendous. <laughs> All right, but uh, it, was just, uh, uh, it was just an incredible event, and I just wanted to say thank you to, uh, you guys for coming and so many of our friends and family that did and um, just all the great and kind words uh, really appreciated. And uh, we're actually going to talk a little bit more about this and kind of the circle of life, if you will, with our good friend Bob Vanderplots coming up here at uh, the bottom of the hour. Next hour, it'll be your turn to ask me anything. I have not seen the questions. Do we have some good ones for this week? We do. Good. Uh, so it's uh, for this week, uh, it's our five star reviewers on the podcast and our followers on MeWe. You get to pick the questions this week. So we look forward to that coming up in the next hour of the show. As I was leaving the house to come in here today, though, my wife was going over to the doggy hotel to pick up our dog cap. So we were going to be gone so much these last couple of days. I went out and spoke at the Quad Cities to the Lutherans for Life National Conference on Saturday morning. Really good crowd there. Uh, and then, of course, we had to get the wedding prepped and then uh, the wedding day. And so uh, Cap was uh, going to be alone too much. So we went in and put him in the doggy hotel. First time I've ever had to take him there to drop him off. And he looked at me like, you, you have betrayed me. I mean, I... I mean, I, I felt like a, like less of a human for dropping him off there. Here's what's interesting, though. Uh, when they were asking me about, you know, his dietary habits and things of that nature, this is something new. It had been several years since we uh, used it to, for our dog, Cap. This was the first time that they had asked us, do you guys want us to, do you have your own dietary regimen for your dog? Or do you guys want us to use... Um, Ours, which includes uh, a vitamin and probiotic supplement for your pet. That's new. Now, it's probably been seven or eight years since we've taken CAP there. But they uh, that's the first time they've ever asked us that. Which is further confirmation about why we've been telling you about our friends over at Rough Greens. We've got so many supplements for humans these days because they strip our foods uh, before they ever leave the factory of a lot of the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients that we need. And that's why the supplement section of the store is getting bigger. Uh, And now the same thing has happened to our pet's food, too, for the same reasons. Mass distribution, mass consumption. And that's why your pet needs a supplement as well. Even the pet hotel is recognizing this now. We are giving you a great offer over at roughgreens.com. R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com. We will give you the first 14-day Jumpstart bag for free to see if you don't see a difference in your pet in two weeks or less. We ask you, though, to pay for the shipping because a lot of times you send people free stuff. It just stays on a shelf and they never use it. So you put in a few bucks for the shipping. We'll pick up the far bigger expense with the product itself. And you can take advantage of this deal. What do you got to lose? At roughgreens.com. R-U-F-F, roughgreens.com. Or you can call them at 833-ROUGH-DOG. And with that, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away.
2: What happened while we were away brought to you by a love is love and all we want are the visitation rights and tax benefits of traditional married couples update with this headline from the UK Daily Mail quote moment transgender singer strips naked live on channel four and plays the keyboard with her penis. Happy Monday. We'll begin with some better news. A US district court has granted the state of Missouri deposition of Anthony Fauci, Jen Psaki, Vivek Murthy and several others within the Biden White House as part of a lawsuit Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt launched, probing collusion between big tech companies and public health officials and the White House. U.S. District Court Judge Terry Doty said in his ruling, quote, Plaintiffs argue that Dr. Fauci's credibility has been in question on matters related to supposed COVID-19 misinformation since 2020. Plaintiffs assert that they should not be required to simply accept Dr. Fauci's self-serving blanket denials. This court agrees, end quote. Moving on, the latest Trafalgar poll of the Michigan gubernatorial race shows Republican Tudor Dixon tied now with Democrat Gretchen Whitmer. Just last month, Trafalgar had Whitmer with a healthy six-point lead in that race. The newest Trafalgar poll of Minnesota has Republican Scott Jensen tied with Democrat Tim Walls there. Jensen showed up for a debate against Walls recently. Walls, as you can see, didn't show. After the CDC unanimously voted to add the COVID jabs to the recommendation, list of childhood vaccines. Pfizer announced it's quadrupling the price of its COVID jab. CDC director Rochelle Walensky has once more tested positive for COVID. Walensky says she's quote unquote up to date on her COVID jabs, which by the way is the new term of art for fully jabbed. We just learned that Moderna found their COVID jab caused type 1 diabetes as a side effect in an infant in one of its clinical trials. The premier of Alberta in Canada is flat out apologizing to the unjabbed.
1: Um, I can apologize right now. I'm I'm, I'm deeply sorry for anyone who was inappropriately subjected to um, discrimination as a result of their vaccine status. I'm deeply sorry or any government employee that was fired from their job because of their vaccine status. And I'd welcome them back if they
2: want to come back. Joe Biden just did an interview with this dude. This is my 221st day of publicly transitioning. God and, love you. Uh, he began by saying child genital mutilation shouldn't be illegal anywhere. Do you think states should have a right to ban gender-affirming health care? I don't think any state or anybody should have the right to do that as a moral question and as a legal question. I just think it's wrong. And ended with this classic.
3: Do you support a federal fund for individuals like myself who need to take time off work, obtain childcare? Absolutely. Care?
2: The answer is absolutely, but absolutely. guess what?
1: We need the same votes we need to overrule, to uh, reinstate uh,
0: the, uh, the decision that was struck down by the court. I mean, I do
2: support that. Somewhere campaigning for someone, Joe Biden also delivered us another classic line. Tim Ryan in Ohio said he doesn't want you there. Warnock said wouldn't say. Do you think they're making a mistake? No, they're by 16 there. I've already gone in for you and a lot more are Headline from the Associated Press, one handshake, one hug, one selfie at a time. President Joe Biden is on a mission to connect with everyday Americans, a high school dude pretending to be a girl in North Carolina who was a member of his high school girls volleyball team recently spiked the ball right into the face of an actual girl. He spiked the ball so hard the girl was left with severe and long-term concussion symptoms, including vision issues. In Dearborn, Michigan, this Karen incarnate at a school board meeting compared the Muslims sitting in the room behind her to Hitler because they don't want their kids taught radical gender ideology.
1: I am not in favor of banning any books in Dearborn. If parents do not want their children to read a book, they should not allow them to do that. But to foist their views of one group of citizens on the rest of Dearborn doesn't work either. This is what Hitler did. And we all know how that worked out.
2: And finally, this. A Washington Post poll finds the overwhelming majority of Americans support the Supreme Court potentially banning colleges and universities from considering a student's race. When deciding admissions, GOP and independents overwhelmingly support banning race-based decision-making, while the majority of Democrats oppose banning race-based college admission decision-making. In other words, Democrats, by their own polling results, are the only political faction in the United States that believes whether or not a student gets into university should be based, at least in part, on the color of their skin. Can't make this stuff up, and that's what happened while we were away.
0: That is true on virtually every bad issue. On virtually every bad issue in America, the only group that agrees with it are people who identify as Democrats. And everyone, I, I mean, I can't think of a, of an issue of existential import where if we did the exact even regime, if the regime itself pulled it pulled did the polling itself, that is that is true on virtually every issue.
1: Did Hitler tell you to say that, Steve?
0: It, it's just it's it's a demonic construct is what it is it's a demonic construct that's what the Democratic Party is and if you belong to it if you join with it then you are allowing that to infest you bad company as the scripture says corrupts good character Or as we used to say back in the day, you are who you roll with, right? Mm -hmm. If you allow that into your ecosystem. Well, Steve, I'm just a union drywall. Nope, 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 nope. Yeah, no. Just like we yell at Republicans for making 2003 campaign arguments in 2022. You're making a 1995 argument that's just dead on arrival. First of all, the Democrats have already given your job to an illegal alien. So you're dumb on that level, number one. You're lined up. You're simping for the group that is handing your jobs to illegals, driving your wages down. You're not making 28 bucks an hour for showing up on the job site anymore if they even give you a job site. So number one, you're a moron. Number two, you're self-deceived. And number three, after you have achieved steps one and two, we are the Borg. Resistance is futile. Aaron's montage brought to you by a client that keeps telling us what a great job we're doing for them. But really, this one's pretty easy peasy. Like, I I mean, I'm I'm not doing anything for my Patriot supply. (laughs) I mean, we're just, we're just telling people the news. Let's go, Brandon. Does all the selling itself. You can get their three-month emergency food kit right now. Save $250 off. $250 off. That's breakfast, lunch, dinner, even snacks and drinks, the full complement of 2,000-plus calories a day that you need should Let's Go Brandon metastasize to the food supply like it has everything else. Take advantage of this deal right now. Kits ship fast and free. That's right, free shipping. And in unmarked boxes, so you get it with discretion, too. Stays good for up to 20 plus years with proper storage. MyPatriotSupply.com. Again, head over to MyPatriotSupply.com. So let us, let's get to the montage. And the moment that occurred yesterday with, with an illegitimate president who was not elected but stole the election and doesn't legitimately govern, but has nameless and faceless people behind him who do. The moment yesterday with him and those who had mutilated themselves to join with the spirit of the age. There are two things that come to mind for me at that moment. Number one, metaphor alert. An aging boomer counterculture relic who can't even talk, can't form a cogent thought, 20 years behind his prime, but just won't let go. Rolling Stones are touring again next summer, by the way. Uh, Just cannot accept the order of things, the natural order of things. Started when you were 19 and thought that yours was the generation that was going to tell the previous 7,000 years of human history how they got it wrong. And now here we are, Western civilization almost gone. And watching him simp for a bunch of people who should be forcibly committed before allowed a political advocacy group. They're a danger to themselves, as they've already demonstrated, by mutilating themselves. And then they become a danger to others by encouraging others to do the same. Can you guys think of a book that ends with a line, these are people that enjoy creating new ways to do evil and encouraging others to do the same, or something about like that? Does that... It doesn't ring a bell. That vaguely? No, nothing? Nothing. Okay, because it's an interesting turn of phrase. Maybe somebody should have used that before. That is... That's a metaphor for where we are as a society. Right there. That that photo of a broken generation that broke western civilization on its last dying legs on its knees before its children and grandchildren that took its counterculture and imported and ingested it into their souls to the point of scarring their bodies. That, that is, that's Spirit of the Ages' chef's kiss right there. That's the Spirit of the Ages' Iwo Jima monument right there, right there. And on a grander scale... That's Romans 1 right there. That's right where we are. That's the most demonic moment in the history of the United States. Certainly in the history of this presidency. Flat out demonic. Karen. is the scourge of this age. She is a public menace. She is either creating or enabling every worst impulse in the culture. She is the spirit of Jezebel incarnate. And because too many of the males are Ahab's, they've enabled her. Soft, whiny, beta, wimpy, Nicer than God. A generation of American beta males gave way to the scourge of Karen the menace. Because at least Karen has some balls. How many of you men wouldn't go to your school board meeting over the last few years and confront a bunch of guys in pleated khakis over their attempt to mentally and intellectually rape your children? Karen pushing 60 borderline morbidly obese walks into a room of Muslims and calls them Hitler to their face, to their face. Meanwhile, your daughters are playing men in volleyball games and taking shots to the face that rearrange their noses and nobody comes out of the stands to do a damn thing about it nobody but Karen Jezebel Jezebel goes to Dearborn, Michigan and calls them Hitler to their face and drops the mic like Kumo how you like me now? Which brings us to the election. What's happening now is Democrats are attempting to scramble here. It's too late. Democrats are attempting to scramble here. Because I think they were fine. Being hard left these last two years. Understanding that in a typical midterm cycle, the party in power loses seats anyway, regardless of how good of a job they do or don't. Realizing how narrow the margins were in the House anyway, what it's an eight, nine seat or something majority they have. I think that they just knew that there was there was some form of a built-in L, some form of a red wave built in, no matter what they did. That's just the, the normal ebbs and flows of duopolistic two-party American politics. And so since there were... That was kind of built in no matter what they did. Just go hard left and accomplish a bunch of their policy objectives, and they did. The problem is, though, now, now they are staring down the barrel of potentially losing every Gen X leader of significance in that party, except for Gavin Newsom. Gretchen Whitmer has outspent Tudor Dixon 20 to 1 or something like that. Isn't that what Tudor said on this show last week? Something like 20 to 1. She won election four years ago by 10 points. In the 2020 election, almost as many union members voted in Michigan as evangelicals did. Right now, Trafalgar has that race statistically tied. The Real Clear Politics polling average is projecting Tudor Dixon to win. Now they're scrambling. I'm rolling thunder, pouring rain. That red tsunami. I told you it wasn't a red wave, it was a red tsunami. It's coming on like a hurricane. And they are looking at cataclysmic levels of loss. So they're trying to scramble now. AP coming out with that Joe Biden arms around America feature. How many interviews has Joe done? 60 minutes MSNBC the last couple of weeks stuttering his way through. Barack Obama's going to Michigan to campaign for Gretchen Whitmer. They're trying to change the subject from inflation to the cost of living as if you're too stupid to realize that inflation is the cost of living. Um, Yeah, it's too late. It's too late. There is nothing they could do. They're going to get curb stomped. There's going to be a prison train run on this party in 15 days. We are going to see the largest wave possible in our current political polarization, and there's nothing they can do about it. They could have done something about it six months ago, they chose not to. They miscalculated, and they will pay the price on November the 8th. But here's the question for us. Have we also miscalculated, and therefore we will start paying the price on November 9th and thereafter? Because as much as I will applaud and take a, an Admiral Akbar like sigh of relief if Gretchen Witchmer gets defeated, for example... Understand, that will deter the spirit of Jezebel, not at all. In that same state of Michigan, Jezebel is rolling into Dearborn, Michigan and telling (laughs) basically Little Jordan right to their faces. And Dearborn, Michigan is the closest thing we have in America to a flyover zone for Islam. And if Karen is walking in right to their faces, man, and calling him Hitler to their face, understand as much as it is important and we will all and should all celebrate if the words I am saying prove to be true on November the 8th, understand the spirit that is willing to do that won't be deterred by your votes whatsoever. You are going to have to remain every bit as vigilant as you are right now in making the politicians that you voted for follow through on why you voted for them. History is won by those who are the most committed every time. Karen's level of commitment is apostolic because she is a religion. She is a church. Her church is the spirit of the age. And it's gonna take a lot more than even one historic level of election to cast that spirit out. Gentlemen, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, the brazenness, uh, not only confronting them, but confronting them with uh, flat-out lies in Durban. I think we all know that that Karen, she was up there ranting about, I don't think we should be uh, banning books. I think we all know she's got a list of books she'd be happy to ban, right? Like
0: starting with the Genesis, yes. Exodus, so- Leviticus, Deuteronomy starting there yeah i can think of 66 books that that she's already got a list of banning you know what i'm saying money yeah
1: so when she's willing to do that with obvious lies which is what we've been saying for a lot the the things they accuse other people of they are always doing we we just uh spoke about that uh uh last week in terms of covering uh, uh hunter biden you you have to you absolutely have to it's an act of war that uh, uh, to to simply meet the enemy, accept who they are, what they believe and fight accordingly. And we are at war. You don't have a choice. Your comfort is killing us. You must act. And you must act with the ferocity and the passion that Karen has, but you will have the truth. And if you do that, game over. That's what's so sad about this. The victory is at hand. We just don't want to win.
2: That's perhaps the most depressing facet of this. It's, it really doesn't take. It, it doesn't take. Um, it doesn't take nether regions the sizes of fill in the blank to stand up to these people. It just takes standing up to them just a little bit, just a little bit. And a lot of times they will wilt if there's enough of us or if they are made to look foolish enough on a public level i mean look what matt walsh has done this year Mm -hmm. look at what he has done and steve to put a, a slight addendum on what you're saying about the spirit of the age seeing a red tsunami seeing a red hurricane that looks like it's rolling in this midterm election it's not only going to not dissuade them it's not going to dissuade the spirit of the age. It will embolden it, actually. You, now you've even proved even more you need to be reprogrammed. Correct. Yes. Correct. There was, I mean, mm-hmm. there was that one brief moment where it was, as you say, the uh, Jehovah's Witness blink after the 2020 election. Hey, maybe we're the problem. And then, nope, nope, you guys are. That's going to be, that's, you think 20, 2020 seems like trite, quaint times. Mm-hmm compared to where we are living now i'm sorry 2016 uh seems like quite uh, quiet times compared to where we are now this thing is going to get dialed up to 12 13 14 if what looks like is about to happen actually comes through the question
0: is though are we a relic Is this the last dying gasp of the silent majority paradigm? We come out of our homes and our pews and vote to hold back the forces of darkness, but then go back to our comfortable lives while under the radar, they proceed as if the election never occurred. We can't do that anymore. There's not enough of Western civilization left. We've been telling you tailgate season is here. So before you're headed out, make sure you are going out with a great cooler from our friends over at Taiga Coolers. Heavy duty, built to last coolers that come in lots of colors. They can be customized for personal or corporate gifts or events. And they keep your food and drinks cool. American made. Also, lifetime warranty. I've got a customized Tiger Cooler. All three of us do. Uh, these are really great products. And it's a company that is uh, run by people just like you huge fans of the Blaze, American Patriots. You can't do better uh, than a Tiger Cooler. So go to TigerCoolers.com right now. That's T A I G A for TigerCoolers.com and use the promo code Steve for a 10% discount. That's the promo code Steve for a 10% discount when you do at TigerCoolers.com. T A I G A taigacoolers.com. Let's welcome in our good friend, Bob Vanderplots from the Family Leader. Good to see you, brother. How are you? I'm doing really well. The bigger question is, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's it, you know, I woke up this morning and I'm like, I'm gonna be 50 in nine months. <laughs> and I'm officially a father in law. I am, I guess, I'm
4: officially old. Uh, you're guess. not officially old. And I am. You're I, being blessed. Well, that too. You saw a daughter mature and who did a great job at her wedding yesterday and uh, as well as your new son-in-law, Stephen, did a wonderful mm -hmm, job.
3: mm -hmm.
4: So just wanted to say congratulations formally. I appreciate that. And you did a great job as dad. I did as much as I could um, while losing my composure a few times. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? That's just being authentic. Uh, I don't have daughters, so it's hard for, I have Mm -hmm. a granddaughter now, but Mm -hmm. I don't have daughters and it's hard for me to even imagine Mm -hmm. what it'd be like to hand off one of your daughters to another guy. Yeah. And I just said to Todd, are you getting ready for this? You got four. And I, I thought you did great, but I thought the authenticity made it really, really special. Well, I
0: appreciate that. What was Todd's, Todd, what was your answer, by the way, out of curiosity?
1: It's a coming. It's a coming. It's,
0: yeah. <laughs> I see, see I was in the mode, I'm not thinking about it until I absolutely have to. I don't want to think mm. about it until I absolutely have to, you know. One of the best compliments my wife ever gave me when the girls were little, she said to me, you're making it very hard, on very hard on their future husbands mm. by the just the bar I was setting for, uh, you know, support and doting and spoiling. And so... I'll take that as a compliment.
4: I've told Darla that many times that she has set the bar exceptionally high for future daughter in laws because they expect you got to be like mom.
0: (laughs) One of the things I wanted to say yesterday, and I, I was just very, it's funny. It's the first time ever people told me I didn't talk long enough. and I wish
4: I would have known that because I would have filled in the gap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a- they
0: they uh, they allocated, be, you know, between everybody coming in and everybody coming out, and then with asking me to officiate the wedding, they had allocated an hour of time, and it took more like 20 minutes, right? And so the caterer and everything, everybody, we're sitting all waiting for the food, and the caterer's like, I got here right on time. You know, well, it's my <laughs> fault. I didn't talk long enough. And and one of the things I was going to say, and I, I was just really... Um, aware that it's not about me. So I didn't want to take too much time enough that it showed that I gave some thought into it for them, but then I got out of the way cause it's their day, not mine. Mm-hmm. And then also, frankly, I was just having a hard time keeping my composure as the event went on. So, um, but one of the things I was going to say is that when you become a parent, there are, there are, there are really two days that matter more than all of the other days. One of those days is what I got to go through and experience yesterday, the mm. wedding day. Did I, did, did I do the best I could do to prepare them now to have their own story, their own narrative, their own family, their own life, right? Um, and that is kind of the, the paradoxical nature of this is the closer you are to them, the harder it is for you to let go, but then mm-hmm. the more prepared they are to go at the same time. You know what I mean? Amen. That's the, that's kind of the paradoxical nature of this. And to just see the ownership they took of their vows for each other and the ceremony and the courage of their convictions and things of that nature, you know, that's when you know that, okay, I certainly did not do a perfect job. There's no way of doing a perfect job. But I, I think I at least did the job that I was called to do. I, I prepared, in this case, them for that day. And
4: right. even though we'd love to keep those little ones like two, three, four years right. old like right. and shielded from the world. Right. But then knowing your job as a parent is so that they can leave the nest. Correct. I and mean, they An- can do their own.
0: Anna has probably learned more about what her dad truly does in the last two years than she hadn't learned in the previous 19. Hmm. Uh, We, we did everything we could when the kids were little to let them be little, to let them, you know, believe in simple truths and have a childhood, Mm -hmm. figure they had the rest of their lives to figure out how the world really works. Right. And, and then the other day that matters more than any other is that when it is, when they, when the Lord calls them home, did you do what you could to prepare them for that day Mm. so that they will hear well done, good and faithful servant. Mm. And of course no parent expects to, or wants to live to see that day Mm -hmm. about this time last year, your family learned that tragically there are times when you do have to bury your own child. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember going to Lucas's memorial service and how powerful that was. And I know several years ago, and I remember reading the book at the time, um, You wrote a book about the experience of raising a disabled child, especially in contrast of the rest of your sons who are all successful, athletic, very active. Right. Um, And the lessons and stuff that were learned from that. I know you just updated it after his passing, but um, I'm not really sure what question to ask. But can you go into that What that experience is like that second day that I just talked about?
4: Well, I can go to it in a couple of ways. Uh, matter of fact, at the funeral, which you just mentioned, uh, we had several people who came to our visitation and you know expressed their condolences. And one of the condolences was parents aren't supposed to bury their children. Mm-hmm. It's out of order. Mm-hmm. And what we reminded everybody who said that, that in this case, darling, I believe this is in order. That God gave us Lucas A kid that wasn't supposed to live for two days or two weeks or two years Mm -hmm. who lived till he was age 28. lucas was definitely dependent on us we were his parents his brothers loved him as you saw at the funeral uh tremendously and they and lucas had such an impact on their lives but quite frankly, Lucas was not their responsibility. Now, they would be prepared to take on that responsibility, but mm-hmm. he wasn't their responsibility. And they have their own families too and their own children. Sure. Yeah. And so when Lucas passed away, uh, and we still do, I mean, we mourn the earthly grieve, grieving, uh, that void, that separation, that loss. Uh, but when we lift up our eyes and we think, new body, saw Jesus face to face every tear, every disability, every seizure wiped away, Mm -hmm. uh, doing things that we can only imagine experiencing in that new body of his for the first time, you know, then we give praise afresh on that deal. And so I think you're right. I mean, for Darla and I, we wanted to make sure Lucas's eternity was secure. Mm -hmm. And here's a kid, he can't make that decision. I mean, he, he can't verbalize, he can't, and I remember before he went in, before his full spinal fusion surgery, when he was 13 years old, you know, we prayed the salvation prayer as parents for Lucas with him, even knowing that we believe, you know, God had this covered mm-hmm. long before we prayed that prayer for him, but God had that covered. Uh, But I think Steve, what for us, I mean, and, and so the light from Lucas, the book that you um mentioned or referenced earlier, that book was kind of a, what was meant to be a manuscript, a manuscript of all the lessons that Lucas has taught us in our family, and to hand that off to our boys. Like, don't ever forget, Lucas's life has a purpose, and this is how it's impacted our family. And my thought was, I'm just going to keep that maybe their graduation day. Maybe it's their marriage day. Maybe it's something day, but I'm going to give them that manuscript that don't miss what you lived. And then it was focus on the family who got a hold of it by a very persistent assistant of mine by the name of Christy at the time. And folks on the family said this needs to be published. And primarily the reason they wanted to publish it was it was a powerful story. There's no doubt about it but so many times folks on the family gets these stories from moms Mm -hmm. very seldom from dads Mm -hmm. and they said you were very transparent here and then obviously johnny erickson uh tata wrote the forward for the book barnes and noble made it a recommended read at the time chuck norris the chuck norris it's the only book he's ever approved (laughs) and and chuck was captured by the deal where i said you know When Darla and I started having children, I wanted my kids to be competitive.
3: Mm
4: -hmm. I wanted them to win. I wanted them to win games, especially basketball games and hopefully state championships. And our three boys were uh, very, very successful, but God gave us Lucas. And Chuck Norris said to me, he said, Bobby was, I believe Lucas is the most competitive kid you know, Hmm. but he's fighting for his life. He's not fighting on a basketball court, but for his life. So I wrote the book. The book did really, really well. It came out in 2007 and praised God and all that. And then Lucas passed away, as you know, your audience knows, um, you know, the Monday before Thanksgiving of last year. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because our pastor, uh, Aaron and I go to the same church, our pastor came over with his son and... Uh, and we sat down, we started talking, and his son wanted to read Light from Lucas. He wanted to get to know Lucas. So he read Light from Lucas, and he told his dad, you've got to tell Bob he needs to finish the story.
3: Hmm.
4: And he was so man this kid's 12 years old. And what Steve knows, and you already referenced, is that the, the memorial service, the funeral, was exceptionally powerful. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, a close friend of both of ours uh, said that this has become the standard for funerals when he attends them mm-hmm. because it was so impactful. And even though we're in the high tech churches in the metro, they had three cameras rolling. They're going to capture everything. And they forgot to hit the play button. <laughs> and so all of a sudden that service is gone. And the only thing there is for those people like you and I who attended it, mm-hmm. and, and the, the couple hundred others that attended it, Ted Cruz mm-hmm. attended it. Uh, and Ted's dad, Rafael Cruz, attended the service as well. It was interesting because I, I was immediately kind of really disappointed. I thought, what a powerful service and that's gone? I mean, Lucas couldn't do a lot of things, but his life had such a powerful impact, such a powerful message, and I thought it was highlighted greatly at that service, and it's gone? And then our oldest son said to me, he said, you know, Dad, I think Lucas gave another lesson. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, in order to impact Lucas's life or for Lucas to impact your life, you needed to be there. You couldn't zoom it in. Mm. You couldn't phone it in. You couldn't take it in remotely. You had to be there. And so then I was encouraged to finish the book. And so what we did is we uh, republished, just came out, uh, Light from Luca's Lessons in Faith from a Fragile Life. And it's the original manuscript, the one that you read in 2007, but there's additional seven chapters. And I would say the most powerful chapters in there is Darla's Eulogy. Mm -hmm. Because Darla initially said, you know, uh, Luca's passing away right at Thanksgiving. I'll never enjoy Thanksgiving again. Yeah, I
0: remember her saying that, yeah.
4: And then she came and she started to think about all the ways God has blessed us and the timing and the gratitude. And also, she said, Thanksgiving will be our most special holiday ever. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking forward to Thanksgiving. And part of it will be celebrating Lucas's life. Uh, but then the three boys, you talk about raising kids like you, Anne, and passing her off yesterday. Mm-hmm. To see our other three boys, two older than Lucas, one younger than Lucas, But all choosing to give eulogies at a funeral Mm -hmm. and to see how diamonds were forged through the pressure of life and witnessing Lucas, it just blew me away from our second son to saying, you know, I want a faith like that, uh, to our youngest son talking about Christian community and there's angels among us like Ruth who gave so much to our family. And then Hans saying, uh, I think we're all going to enjoy having plenty, but none quite like Lucas mm. and, and the impact that Lucas had about wanting to give your best. So, you know, um, we finished the book, we finished the story. God's blessed it dynamically already. Um, I think as I told you, Steve earlier is that we don't want money from the book. I mean, we're going to sell the book because you got to pay for it. But all the proceeds are going to go to sanctity of human life efforts, uh, as well as to kids and families caught up in special needs. So this is our story. And what you saw yesterday with Stephen and Anna getting married, they're starting their story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Everybody's got a story. And we were blessed enough to have a gift of Lucas if people want to get a copy of it, how can they do so? The best way to get to the, get a copy of this, go to uh, the family com, And then we'll take care of it from there. And we'll do the shipping and all that stuff. If you forget the dot go to Amazon. Um, and Amazon has it on there as well, but we'd love to have you get a copy of that. Share it with somebody that is going through a special circumstance in their life. Doesn't have to be a disability, but a special circumstance. I think it'll speak to them. Um, interesting. We had a, Gentleman, that uh, very wealthy family, very successful. And he said, Bobby was I don't even know somebody with a disability close to me. He said, but I read that book and that's my story. Hmm. And because it's just being authentic about life. Mm -hmm. Because all of us would love to have this picture perfect life. Mm -hmm. But the fact is life happens. And Stephen and Anna were very transparent with that yesterday, life happens. What do you do when life happens to you? So one more time, if you want to get the book, thefamilyleader.com,
0: if you want to bypass Amazon, right? Yeah,
4: thefamilyleader.com. That'd be the best way. The-T-H-E, familyleader.com, and they can get the book from there. Good stuff, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you.
0: Okay, so uh, next hour, do we have good questions? We do. We do? All right. So next hour, we'll do our Ask Me Anything. By now, you guys know the drill. I've not seen any questions at all. Um, I like snotty questions, and I like them without knowing what is coming. I like being blindsided by snotty questions. I really appreciate it, actually. Um, I was just looking, during the break, I was looking at clips of uh, my old boss, the aforementioned Ted Cruz, just absolutely laying waste to the crew on the view, just laying waste, okay? Like, you literally could hear the lamentations of these women, and I thought, that's my boy, not voting for endless funding of Ukraine. That's the guy I worked for right there, right? So, feel free, whoopee, bring your uh, bring your snottiest or your best. We'll get to the ask me anything coming up here in hour two. Stay tuned. <music> All right, back with Hour Two, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Totters, and in all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show, Steve at stevedace.com, D-E-A-C-E, for those of you that can't see this screen over my shoulder that tells you how to spell it. You can also like us on Facebook, Mi Parlor and Gab. Follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter and Getter, also on Instagram and TikTok. You can as well find us on Trump's Truth Social at Real Steve Dace there. At Real Steve Dace there. And then you can get real clips that are real free and free of any censorship when you go to Rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. That's Rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. This portion of the show brought to you by our friends over at Jace Medical. The past couple of years have taught us anything. It's that in a time of crisis... Sometimes the basics can be hard to come by. When you are assessing where you're at from a preparedness, maybe one thing we have forgotten is medicine. And we have just lived through an ordeal over the last 30 plus months where they were willing to discredit safe and effective medications. Then maybe we can debate their effectiveness against COVID-19. They were very effective against COVID-19 but maybe we can debate their effectiveness we cannot debate their overall effectiveness and safety even though they try to discredit them why because they were fine killing you because they had an agenda and these medications got in the way who knows what the next hydroxy the next ivermectin might be it might be doxycycline it might be amoxicillin penicillin make sure you are ready uh, with our friends over at jace medical uh the jace pack j-a-s-e J-A-S-E. The Jace case is a pack of five different courses of antibiotics that can use be used to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinusitis, uh, sinusitis I should say, skin infections. Among many others, they make uh, preparedness with medicine easy and affordable, takes just a few minutes, and the medication will be then dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. If you want to be prepared, go to JaceMedical.com. Jace, J-A-S-E, J as in Jeff, J-A-S-E, S E and enter my code DACE 10 DACE 10 to get 10% off DACE 10 D E A C E DACE 10 at Jace medical.com. If you're a podcast listener, I want to thank you so much. You're a big reason why we are in the final furlong of renegotiating my contract extension here. I mean, really you are a big reason why. So thank you. Please do one more thing for the show. If you don't mind hit subscribe or follow, leave us a five-star review. If you dig it, of course, if you don't, you know, don't lie. If you kind of dig it, totally exaggerate how much you like it, all right? Uh, but uh, thank you to all of you that have done those things for us already. If you are a new five-star review and you've got a question that you want to have considered on a future Ask Me Anything, embed it into your five-star review, and you'll go to the front of the line for Todd's consideration for the next AMA. And now it is time for the today's AMA. Uh, Courtesy of our five-star reviews and our followers over on MeWe. I've not seen any of these questions at all. Todd, you selected the questions that you thought would be the most interesting to get on the air and answer, right? Yes. You passed them on to Aaron. So, Aaron, are we ready to go?
2: You bet. And we will begin with, I don't know who submitted this, but this is our five-star review question. If Bo Jackson hadn't been injured, would he be in the Hall of Fame for baseball, football, or both? I would say both.
0: I mean, keep in mind we just put Terrell Davis in the Hall of Fame for several extraordinary years in a career cut short by injury. Um, I I think he would have been in the Hall of Fame for both. I think think Bo Jackson, I, I think Bo Jackson pound for pound might be the greatest singular athletic talent that this country has produced in my lifetime. And... When you look at the level of excellence that he brought to the field in both of those pursuits. Now, the argument against this, Todd, would be that while the talent in each pursuit was obvious. Would the craftsmanship have suffered and therefore um, that would have prevented him from being a Hall of Famer in either of them? I'm okay with that argument, too. To me, I kind of think it's one or the other. Like, I think he's either a Hall of Famer in both or that he was just really he would have ended up really good at both. But there would have been a lack of timing and honing and craftsmanship because of the time it takes to prepare. You're you're talking totally different body types here. Now, it's not quite Hugh Jackman. And what he does to his body before he gets ready to play Wolverine and then before he gets ready to do a Broadway show. Not that level of physical evolution, but quite a bit. It just requires a different level of training for both of those sports, given the physicality. So I, I, I think it would have been both or neither. And given how awesome he was, for those of us who remember, for those few years in the late 80s, I would vote for both. Where, where would you come down on this?
1: I think I re- people saw him as a human video game. Yeah. I don't remember what his... Remember him on the original Tecmo Bowl? Oh, yeah. It
0: was great. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I don't remember exactly what his lifetime baseball stats are. I think, I, th- I think continued success in both sports may have changed the standard of how and why you vote for him. I think he would have had to have. I, I, I think what you bring up is Terrell Davis. It's a, it's a narrower window than most, mm-hmm. um, but all of that um, success uh super bowl wise ended up allowing uh for that baseball wise i think it might have allowed a more narrow window even by baseball people just to acknowledge what you said that this was look what he look what he did people just showed i mean remember that that one year in the all-star game they just they batted him lead off just like yeah. let's get this you got to watch him he's yeah. the most uh amazing thing and that's in an era where I mean, there's some ball players in that era, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I think you're you're right, but I do think if he was going to make one and not the other, I'd have to go and refresh my memory. I think it would have been football.
0: I think because I agree with you, although I I, I still maintain it would have been both or neither, but I agree that if it was it would have been one, it would have been more likely football because I I don't think. Now, that's, we, that's beginning to change. We saw that with Aaron Rodgers last year over the jab. But historically, football writers that determine who goes into the NFL Hall of Fame have not been nearly the sneering snobs and nattering nabobs that the baseball mm-hmm. writers would be, right? Um, and you see that with, for example, the injury exemption basically given to Terrell Davis, okay? Um, and so I think that they, they also would have recognized how extraordinary even – Three, four, or five years of this level of performance was while you're doing another sport full time that has a season, by the way, that overlaps, right? I mean, you've got, um, you know, the Major League Baseball season, right. even if your team doesn't make the the postseason, goes, you know, basically to the first of October. So you're missing all of training camp to play baseball. And... You're still showing up and putting up these kinds of numbers in three quarters of a season without the training camp that everybody else has. And I think the the football writers have been would have been much more prone to provide like a prorated exception there than maybe the the snobs that have handled
2: major yeah, league baseball all, all for all these years. All right, next question. We will go to Tom Heavener, who says, "Will Fetterman actually go through with the debate?" What would hurt more pulling out or actually going through with it? And what does that say about the state of our politics, that someone like this could get elected as a U.S. senator?
0: I think that he has to go through with it. Except for what we know. Does it feel like there's even a governor race in Pennsylvania? No. You know what I'm saying? Like on a given day. Is it Josh Shapiro? Is that the Democrat nominee? I believe believe. He's the attorney general, I think. Right? Yes. All right. So on a given day, like on a given day, you feel like there's a race going on in Michigan. Right? You kind of feel like it. Yes. On a given day, you feel like there is um, a race going on in Nevada on a given day or Arizona for sure. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay. On a given day, how often do you see the names Josh Shapiro or Doug Mastriano on a given day?
1: It's a lot less than that Senate
0: race. And yes, and it's a lot less than the other races I just mm-hmm. mentioned. Yeah. And, and, the, and, and, and why? Same state, exact same electorate. Why? Because there is a question being called in one of those races that is not being called in the other. The entire Pennsylvania Senate race right now. Now, let me say that. Let me, let me take a step back, actually, going back to what I said last hour. Until a couple of weeks ago, the entire Pennsylvania Senate race was being determined by the question of the fitness for the office of the Democrat candidate. Now, as you are seeing the red tsunami, the red wave go from a tsunami, you're beginning to see that form. I could foresee a scenario you bet were this carries a Doug Mastriano across the finish line. You bet I could see that. But that tells you that he has like, you know, no control over his own destiny, right? Mehmet doesn't either. Mehmet Oz's candidacy was was discussed more often. The Pennsylvania Senate race was discussed more often and was considered more relevant and newsworthy than the gubernatorial race in the exact same state with the exact same electorate, both of them statewide offices. So pretty much the same people are going to show up to vote in both races. But what's the difference here? It's the fitness for the office of John Fetterman. If John Fetterman doesn't show up for that debate, he will not win. He still, I don't think he's going to win anyway, actually. But it's over. I mean, he's dead in the water. Because for years and years from maybe all of our lives, we have heard from Republican consultants that we had to nominate candidates like Mehmet Oz instead of Doug Mastriano to get soft Democrats and independents to vote for our people. Right. Mm -hmm. And then for years and years, we kept we kept seeing them nominate people like this. And then and then they kept losing. And then and now we've got the ultimate control group in Ron DeSantis, who wins by barely 40,000 votes and just comes in there, man, like the archangel Michael right out of heaven, just, you know. Laying waste to sh- spiritual strongholds and dude's going to name the score this, this year in, a, in, the, in, the, in the quintessential swingiest swing state of them all, Florida. And so there there was no argument that these guys ever win. And lo and behold, this is the one time where it might work. Because I think there's a lot of people, because on on several issues, Fetterman and Oz's resumes and their beliefs, based on who they were before Mehmet Oz decided to run for this Senate seat, are really not that much different. The premise is not that much different. The The degree is different, okay? Like, I'm sure John Fetterman wants to let more people out of prisons than Mehmet Oz does. But the premise is still the same. Well, you know, it's, it's bad to have too many black people in prison. I don't know. And I think it's bad to have too many innocent people in prison. You agree with me on that? Yeah. Yeah. Do you give, you know, two turds and a stroke what, uh, what skin pigment they have if they're guilty? No. No, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care if all the people in the prison are black if they're all guilty. I don't care. I don't care if they're all white if they're all guilty. I don't want to have too many innocent people in prison. But I don't assume, based on a, you know, the level of pigment in your skin, that you're innocent or guilty one way or the other, right? Mm-hmm. So this is one time, because of Fetterman's cognitive fitness, that it is... I would have said a few weeks ago, it is absolutely possible that Oz... In fact, I think I predicted it a few weeks ago, that Oz was going to win and Mastriano was not. Right. I think the environment has changed even more in the last couple of weeks that I'm not sure that's possible. That I think that Mastriano maybe gets caught up in this and wins as well. But at the very least, I say this with confidence. If Fetterman does not show up to that, he's done. Because that's the number one issue in that race. You're much better off at least going there. Can I give an anecdote to answer this question? Sure. In the 2008 Iowa caucuses, in that cycle... I mean, I, I had just spent the summer annihilating the Mitt Romney campaign. Well, let me rephrase that. The first thing I did was disintegrate John McCain's Iowa caucus campaign. That was my first goal. I detested McCain. He had, he had done the gang of eight to shut us down on how many issues in the Bush administration. The Bush administration was actually, to shut, was actually to stand up on judicial appointments. McCain kept getting his gangs together of Democrats to shut us down, right? So when he showed up to Iowa to run for president that cycle, I didn't really know much about him, Mitt Romney at all. I just knew he was the guy that ran the Olympics. That's all I knew. Um, and I remember his dad, you know, George Romney, who had been governor of my home state of Michigan, uh, McCain was my primary target. So, I mean, I spent the winter and spring of that year destroying his Iowa caucus campaign and I did. And I was very proud of that. And then, you know, you start wondering what you're going to do next. And somebody, a buddy, a guy who went on to become a good friend of mine, called me up out of the blue from Boston, Massachusetts one day and said, Hey, I hear you're the, you're the radio guy in Iowa. For conservatives, I said, "Well, I don't know if that's true. I've only been doing this for a couple of years, but okay." He's like, "What do you know about Mitt Romney?" And he said, "You mean the guy that runs the Olympics?" He goes, "Yeah." Have you looked into his record at all? So I started looking into his record that summer, and so then after we disintegrated John McCain's Iowa caucus campaign, uh, we went after Mitt Romney's. And after the after the straw poll, where Romney ended up winning, but a very weak first place. And Mike Huckabee came out of nowhere to finish a very close second place. And that kind of is what legitimized Huckabee in that cycle as a legitimate threat. After that event, the Romney campaign demanded to put somebody on my show to rebut what I was saying about his record. Now understand what I was saying about Mitt Romney's record. You guys will remember those shows. Was I saying anything about Mitt Romney's record? No. Mitt Romney was saying all kinds of things about his record, right? Because what was I doing? Hit and play. Just letting you hear Mitt Romney for himself. That's all I did for months. I mean, I played those same eight or nine, ten clips so many times y'all could have mouthed the words to him driving home and listening to that stuff in your car. You knew it was coming. And the Romney campaign made the calculation that they were in danger of losing their loyalists at the rate that they were being delegitimized by me. And so, therefore, even if whoever was going to show up on my show that day was going to absolutely get curb stomped, and it was a guy named Brian, and he did, that it, it was worth it to at least hold their P1s, their primary people, so they just didn't unravel as a candidate like what happened with McCain. I kept, I kept trying to get McCain to come on my show. He never would. Imagine spending five years in the Hanoi Hilton. But then you won't come on the show of a 28-year-old talk show host, as I was at the time. <laughs> Think about that. How much of a fraud as a politician do you have to be? That you spent five years in the Hanoi Hilton and you can't come on and answer questions from 28-year-old Steve Dace? What does that tell you right, about the, 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 uh, the scam of how John McCain had fashioned himself? Well, Mitt Romney did the same thing. Now, I wanted him to come on, too. He was never doing it. So they basically drew straws to see which of the flacks on the campaign would get the short stick to come on and take the flack on behalf of Mitt Romney. And it was a guy named Brian. And he knew it. You know, we were like talking football and stuff during breaks, you know, hanging out. We get on the We get we come back from break. He'd get absolutely decapitated. You know, and, but he knew he was just checking a box, marking time. He was getting paid to come on here and take your whooping. He knew it. All right. And so once I figured out he knew it, it like all the pressure was out of the studio. We had a good conversation in between segments. The light would go on. The bumper music would come back in. I'd club him like a baby seal on the National Geographic channel. And, you know, he'd sit there, have a terrible answer in response. And um, and then we'd go to break. And then, you know, we'd talk Hawkeyes and Cyclones. We did that for like an hour. It was a great day. All right. <laughs> but they knew that if they didn't show they'd already taken it on the chin in the straw poll if they let me for the rest of the fall now now we're into the fall you know we're into August is the state fair and then September October November we're into the fall if they let me do this in the fall and then go on and say to my audience we 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 kept offering the Mitt Romney campaign time to come on because Iowans are big into niceness and fairness because we're Midwesterners but if you give people a chance to defend themselves and they still choose not to, then Iowans are totally fine with you ripping their throats out. But you have to give—we're not New Yorkers. We have to give them a chance to, to, own, to stand up for themselves first. Then if they don't, you may absolutely eviscerate these people. But you have to be nice first. Give them a chance first. And so if I had said all fall long that we gave Mitt Romney and his campaign every chance to come on again today, folks, and answer for this, and they won't do it. He lost by nine. He'd have lost by 19. Like, his campaign would have been over in Iowa. It would have it would have unraveled. And so they recognized that they had to at least come on so they could hold their primary base of support and try to survive. That's where John Fetterman is right now. He has to hold his primary base of support to survive. And that's why he's got to show up for that debate. Thoughts on that?
1: That's one way of looking at it. I just think the Democrats, in this particular case, they win either way. They either managed to pull that clown through and get him elected mm-hmm. or they get memen oz and they already have the guy who's going to vote with them half the time
0: so after we get rid of lisa murkowski yeah. he just takes her place yeah. is that what you're saying
1: yeah, yeah. i think the Democrats cards know this either way they're fine on this
0: yeah keep at, at any point in my analysis did i endorse senate the oh, prospect no. of oh, senator no. oz no you did not. no i just gave you a. I did not do that i just gave you a strict analysis politically certainly not morally yes
2: So before we just came on the air this hour, there was some chatter about uh, the Department of Justice launching an investigation into supposed uh, national security threat targeting U.S. election systems. I'm seeing now from a reporter with multiple outlets, there's chatter today that Hawaii, which is a Chinese telecom giant, will be banned today, followed by TikTok. Your thoughts. Um more likely Hawaii than TikTok, but.
0: probably something they should have done a long time ago. yeah I mean what well, if, if if you're thinking of banning a foreign made product for its ability to infiltrate you, is that something any previous generation of American leadership would have taken months and months to determine No. Every other previous generation of American leadership would have been too quick to act on something like that. You know, like FDR with internment camps. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You would have have had to have stopped them from overreacting too jingoistically, Republican or Democrat. You would have had to stop them from overreacting too too draconian. This is the first time, and this is really the first era of American leadership where we want to make sure we don't offend the very people that we think might be trying to infiltrate us by banning them. Right? like, Have you thought? Have you ever thought as an American about going and buying Chinese real estate? Have you ever thought to yourself, you know, I think real estate market in China, you know, you had a burgeoning middle class there. I might, maybe I should invest in some Chinese real estate. Have you ever thought about that? Like, have you ever, you ever realized that you can purchase a Russian bride? You can purchase through shows like ours. You can invest in big time, historic, valuable artwork, right? Mm-hmm. Um, why aren't we doing any ads for... we? Dude, we did ads for Panamanian real estate a couple of years ago. Remember this? Why haven't we ever done ads for buybeijing.com? You ever thought about that? You can't. Uh, you can't buy their real estate. They're not stupid. They don't, you know, hate power. They, in fact, want to expand it. So we let them buy all our real estate, but we can't buy theirs. No other previous generation of American leadership would have practiced things like this. This is, this is all new. Republican or Democrat, we would have had to have been concerned about going way overboard in response um, to these kinds of threats. But this is the first era of American leadership that we apologize for actually wanting to defend our way of life.
2: Interesting. Moving on. With our MeWe questions from your audience on MeWe, Zach Andrews says, Nefarious has just won the Oscar for Best Picture, and you're about to deliver your acceptance speech in front of the Hollywood elites. What do you say? Um,
0: I would thank them. I would I would tell them, there is no way this could have possibly been this successful without all of you every one of you assembled in this room who just completely wrote off the vast majority of your countrymen who just acted like places like where I live, Iowa, don't exist. Who completely disregarded the legacies of films like The Ten Commandments, Ben-Hur, Or hell, even horror films that understood the eternal scheme of things like The Omen or The Exorcist. Had you guys not made this movie 20 years ago like you should have, and probably even made it better than we could have, I wouldn't be here today. Like Fox News would not exist if Walter Cronkite had not devolved into the picture of Dan Rather. And Don Lemon. And outlets like The Blaze, where I work every day, could not have existed without people like Huffington Post. If it weren't for your myopic, sanctimonious, cultic arrogance, choosing to advance a very narrow agenda that a shrinking number of Americans affirmatively want and agree with in exchange for just making good entertainment and a hell of a lot of money. This this weekend is the first in 12 weekends that Hollywood collectively has made over $100 million in a weekend. And if we're going back 12 weekends, guys, we're going into the summertime, like blockbuster season. Instead, you made tripe like Halloween ends Which this week suffered one of the worst second weekend drops in the history of major cinema. You made those movies instead. You didn't make things that actually spoke to people and their hopes and their fears and their dreams and their nightmares. You gave all that up for your agenda, what you wanted. And so, really, you gave this award to me. You should have given it to yourselves you made this all possible. And we kicked your ass by the grace of God and just three and a half million dollars. It's the great prophet Matt Damon once said in Goodwill Hunting, how you like them apples?
2: That's what I'd say. Are you not entertained, America? That Are you was, not entertained? That was off the cuff.
1: Now, the real <laughs> you question no is, idea. how long would it take giving that speech before the orchestra music came in really <laughs> <Yeah>. early? <laughs> nice. That's maybe my
0: favorite question that's ever been asked <laughs> in the history of this segment.
2: Time you for, want me to talk about myself? Uh, by all, if, if you insist, <laughs> yes. Uh, one more. Uh, this segment from Clinton Cooper Steve, are you familiar with a social theory called the fourth turning, Uh, where due to how generations interact with each every 80 to 100 years or four generations, there is a great crisis where all societal norms and values are up for grabs, including freedom itself, seen in the fourth turnings of the Civil War and the World Wars. Uh, The theory was first put forth in the 1990s and based on history predicted the the next crisis would last from 2008 to around 2028 Given how 2028 is not that far away, do you believe this theory has merit?
0: I am familiar with the theory. I I do think it has merit. Um, There's another variation of this that a theologian by the name of... um, I was going to say D.L. Mui, but it's not who it was. Um, I have to look up the name during the break, forgive me. But uh, he he views that history begins in a three-generation cycle. Uh, What one generation believe what one generation uh, believes, the second generation accepts and then the third generation rejects. And so essentially every third generation, there is a renewing of some meta belief system. And and it just determined it's just a matter of what the meta belief system is. okay. And so if you looked at it here, you'd have the greatest generation, or you'd have, I'm sorry, what was it? Uh, what was the generation before the Greatest Generation? I can't remember, but the world, the World War One generation, had belie- a belief system coming out of the Industrial Revolution or World War One, passed that on to what became known as the Greatest Generation, uh, and so they accepted it and acted on it, and then the third generation, the Boomer generation, rejected it, and so that would make our generation, Gen Xers, <clears throat> we would be the reboot of a new three-generation cycle. Uh, that would determine then what is what is the meta belief that is going that we're going to accept generationally that will then kind of restart this cycle. So that's another variation on the same thing. Um, both of them. Regardless of which of the two, the, the three generation cycle I just mentioned, uh, or the fourth turning, uh, Clint, that you asked me about. Both of them, though, confirm what, you know, I, you've heard me say on the show. History does not just repeat. It also rhymes. There's nothing new under the sun. The dog returns to its own vomit. We could quote these scripture verses over and over and over again, because the constant here is the variable of human nature. The constant here is the variable of human nature. That we are totally depraved. And that is why the only undefeated argument is the slippery slope. It delivers every time. And that's also why those that are tempting us to slide always try to discredit it. Always want to get rid of it. Uh, Slippery slope arguments are lazy. Now, it's like saying it's lazy to put on a parachute before jumping out of a plane. They're not lazy, they just never lose because human nature is a loser. We'll come back with more in a moment. Mm. All right, back here on The Steve Day Show, powered by our friends over at Bullion Max. As we continue to let's go, Brandon, the hell out of this economy. Where now Nancy Pelosi says, we don't want to talk about inflation. We want to talk about the cost of living as if these things are mutually exclusive. Because what is causing the cost of living to go up more than anything else, guys? Inflation, right? This is why smart people that have money know how to hold on to it. Uh, they, they protect it from government debasement schemes, government corruption, like the Let's Go and economy we are seeing now. Uh, and they do so with hard assets, precious metals, commodities like gold and silver. If you want to get in on the act, our friends at Bullion Max want to help you with that right now. They offer you their silver starter kit that includes a lot of great silver collectibles, including the American Eagle silver coin and more. Uh, they offer it to you at employee pricing. They can't make it any more inexpensive than that. Get it at employee pricing right now when you go to bullionmax.com Steve. Bullionmax.com Steve. The offer is so good, they limit it, though, to just one per household. When you go to bullionmax.com Steve. All right, Aaron, next question. All
2: right, we move on now to F oh, you Florida did want, Man.
1: Sorry, Aaron, you wanted us to me to remind oh, you. D, thank you.
2: D.A. Oh, yeah. Carson,
0: the theologian I mentioned earlier, what one generation believes, the next generation accepts, and the third generation rejects. Right as we went to the break, I remembered his name. It's D.A. Carson is the name of the theologian that kind of has a theological spin on the philosophical, historical notion of the fourth turning.
1: And the book that lays out the fourth turning, I read it in my 20s. It's called The Fourth Turning. It's excellent. It actually follows that theory all the way through all of American history. I, I suggest it.
2: Okay. Uh, F in Florida man says, if you were the Speaker of the House <laughs> in January, what would be your first 100-day strategy? Would impeaching and removing Kamala be on the agenda? Yes.
0: Um, I The idea that Kevin McCarthy says impeachment is, a, I don't want to make it a political tour. That, that That's always what it has been. That's why we don't have criminal trials of our presidents. We have a political process. The founding fathers made the decision to hold high crimes and misdemeanors that might be committed by an executive like the president um, to hold them outside of the criminal system. Otherwise, he could get bogged down by frivolous complaints and accusations and nothing in the country doesn't get governed. So to compensate for that, they created an impeachment process so that the political process would hold them accountable instead. Now, I don't think there's anything, I, I think there have been, I could, I could name five things off the top of my head this administration has done that's impeachable. How about letting over 2 million people invade your border? Is that an impeachable offense? You bet it your ass be. it is. Yeah. I'm
2: creating an apartheid state. Yeah, I was, that you know?
0: was, and that's where I was going to go next. The most impeachable is the attempt to poison you with a medical apartheid state. If that's not impeachable, man, then absolutely nothing is. I mean, literally, nothing is. If that's not impeachable, then nothing is. But this gets into what I was talking about recently with an updated Ten Commandments of Political Warfare as well. The idea that we will restrict ourselves to some nostalgic, extra-traditional view of the Constitution that isn't the literal, actual Constitution, but is some, like, nostalgic unwritten rule aspect of it while the other side just shreds it into smithereens no we're not doing that anymore we should just reject that out of hand and so here are the new rules in short we don't disobey God everything short of that we do to you those are the rules if we win we do not disobey God Everything other than that, though, we do to our enemies. Those are your new rules. And so, as Speaker, I have one of the greatest powers in the Constitution. The Constitution says appropriations begin where? In the House. In the House of Representatives. So guess what we won't be doing anything of, if I'm Speaker? Appropriating? We won't be doing any appropriating. Not a damn cent. Until we secure our border... Until we end all poison jab mandates, including the military. And we begin domestic energy production once more. Those three things right there. Until we do those three things, not assent. There is no amount of wailing. I'm I, I don't I'm I'm without empathy. No amount of wailing. No amount of gnashing. No amount of threatening. My name is no, my number is no. Hell no. That's what it takes to win. Yes, Todd?
1: Point of order. That's all well and good regarding your enemy on the left, but what about your enemies on the right?
0: Well, that's why I wouldn't be Speaker. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <That's laughs> point of order is point taken, and that's why I would not be Speaker. That's why somebody like Kevin McCarthy is. All right? Re- most Republicans, including most of the ones you're going to go vote for in this tsunami here in two weeks, are there to, to be something, not do so, not do things. So you're
1: saying with this red tsunami, based on that, are you saying there's zero integers shot of somebody we'd respect being Speaker of the House? Yes. Even with, you're saying, zero chance. Zero chance. Not even a miracle. No. Amazing.
0: You want, you want me to tell you something that many of you are going to get pissed at me about, but it's true, so I'm going to tell you anyway? Yes. Donald Trump doesn't want somebody like Chip Roy to be Speaker of the House either. I mean, if, if Chip Roy were Speaker of the House when Trump was president, would he have signed off on all the no, COVID no, lockdowns and no. spending? No, he would not have done that. Tom, I mean, Chip Donald Trump doesn't want somebody like Thomas Massey to be Speaker either. So...
1: How do you like them apples? That's true. I just
0: keep it, saying that. Yeah, it's true. It, you may not like it. Does it sound like I like it? Does it sound like I'm just like anxious and bullion to reveal this news? But it's the truth. Of course I'm not. But it is true nevertheless. And so my job is to tell you the truth. Your job as best I can. Doesn't mean everything I say is true. I'm not truth incarnate. I'm not God. But my job is to tell you the truth as best as I can. Your job is to determine if it is true and then if it is, what to do about it. How to receive it. Speaking of things that are true, that are not easy to say, but are true nevertheless, we have to create a parallel economy in this country. As more and more of woke corporatism funds the spirit of the age, is trying to undermine our way of life. That's where apps and products like and movements, really, like Public Square come in. Public SQ is the app for Public Square. Download the app today, and you can find out uh, how to get hooked up with businesses, local freedom-loving businesses that have your value system Uh, that want to help stand for truth, justice in the American way. So whether it's the coffee shop that took a stand against COVID mandates, the bank that says they're not canceling you over your views, um, the restaurant that buys farm to table, whichever the case may be, uh, download the app today, Public SQ, Public SQ, available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can create a free account, begin your search, and you can also list your business for free so that your local community can find you today.
2: Download the app, Public SQ for Public Square. We go on to Rex Elliott who asks has political and cultural analysis become void of nuance and ultimately a question of pro god versus anti god.
0: I wouldn't say it is totally void of nuance because I mean listen guys we got we have we have thousands of sects sects and denominations within even Christendom, okay? So I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's devoid of nuance. But I would agree with you that that is the general argument. I don't think I've cited this in a while, so let me do so again. One of the best pieces of analysis I have ever heard is Dr. James Dobson once said that there really are only two worldviews in the world. God is or he isn't. That's it. And every ism falls into one of these two camps. Every ideology, in other words, that's what an ism is. Every ideology falls into one of those two camps. God is or he isn't. So while I agree, that is, the, that is the basic argument. Or as our friend Jordan Schachtel, who's going to join us in the overtime today, another way of putting it is anti-human or pro-human flourishing. But it's the same argument. Because who creates humans? God. Who gives humans their value? God, who's whose image do humans bear, which uh, is why they have value. Right. So it's the same. It, it, it just is, it's a similar mm-hmm. twist on this on, on the same theme here. All right. So you're right that that every argument now we are back to the garden. We are back to first things here. We are back to Genesis three. Everything now is we're beyond Overton windows now. Uh, we're beyond Venn diagrams now, Kamala. <laughs> All right. Everything now is did, is, did God really say? Everything is. Everything is. But we have to also acknowledge that even with within those of us who have a theistic worldview, within even those of us who have an explicitly Christian worldview, there are absolutely nuances that we have to recognize. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. All
2: right. Next up, we go to Eric Homkus, who says, what factors drove, quote-unquote, big church into soft commentary and disengagement? How can that be reversed? The desire to be a big church.
0: (laughs) That's the answer. The desire to grow your church. As opposed to advancing the kingdom of God. The desire to have a big church as more so than the desire to have a big God. The desire to expand your brand and fitting the world, word of God into your brand. Then the word of God is the brand. I know I'm going to upset at least somebody when I say this, but I am sure somewhere in this vast audience that has grown hundreds of percents in the last few years. There is a pastor who does this and really means well when he does it. Okay. So someone's going to send me an exception when I say this. Okay. And so I'm admitting up front there are, there's, I'm sure there's an exception here, but in general, I don't believe it is biblical to franchise your church into multiple locations where you holographically or visually or zoom yourself in, as opposed to having a local minister in that community. Stand up and bring the word of God to those people. Well, Steve, we're just taking advantage of the technology. No, you're not. Paul had technology in his day, proto versions of it, primitive versions of it. But when Paul wrote letters, the the letters that we have, the epistles we have, were they instructions on the exact sermon that the church in Corinth was to give that Sunday or any Sunday. Meaning that the, that when, when Paul planted churches, were they, were they puppets of Paul? Did they, did they not have individual autonomous leadership? Was, were they just doing Paul's epistles as the only preaching plan? You understand what I'm trying to say yeah. here? Um, or were they local churches? Local. If you're building a church in multiple locations, you're not planting churches. You're franchising. Just admit that. You are franchising. It's Culver's, McDonald's, same menu, same uniforms, everything. But it comes down from one utilitarian system or construct. That's not the local church, guys. I don't care how nice and good the guy is who speaks before and after your video. Plant churches, not your brand. I'm sure somewhere in the vastness of the communities that you have franchised yourself to, I'm guessing somewhere God has can find one man equipped to bring the word of God to those people. And and by golly, he might do it just as well or better than you. That's an example of what I'm talking about. One church in many locations. That's McDonald's. Why don't you put up a sign? Instead of 46 billion served, over 23,000 served every Sunday. Here and in this suburb, that suburb, that exurb. No, don't do that. Plant churches. And I don't care how good the steward, because it's not, you, which that's what you've done. You've put Denethor in charge, not Aragorn. You've put a steward in charge, not a real king, not a real leader. And everybody knows he's a steward because you stripped him of what would give him the ultimate authority with a congregation the power of bringing the word of God to them, the most important thing they'll ever hear in their lives. You've stripped him of that and turned him into a steward. So they know they're getting the Betamax version. This is not live. It is Memorex. So if I can't, if if you put a guy in charge of my church that you wouldn't trust to bring me the word of God, why would I trust to bring him my problems and issues and struggles? You've stripped him of the most obvious evidence of his authority. Don't do that. Just my opinion. You know, buying or selling a home in any environment can be challenging, but especially in these unprecedented times. Make sure you go in with an agent you can trust to guide you through the process from beginning to end. With our friends over at realestateagentsitrust.com, a lot of times these are going to be agents that share your values. They're Blaze listeners and viewers, just like you, so you know that you can trust them. And you can also trust we wouldn't recommend them to you unless we vetted their uh, track record ourselves, unless we knew for sure that they were full-time and successful. That's why we have a waiting list of thousands of agents waiting to get in into our network because we don't just take anybody. We do vet them first. All right. So the process is simple. Uh, if you want to get into or away from someplace just go to realestateagentsitrust.com that's realestateagentsitrust.com today provide us some basic info and then our team will contact you to help make an introduction to one of our preferred agents and get the process started today at realestateagentsitrust.com
1: any final thoughts Do we have any quick questions, Aaron? Uh, Yeah, let's do
2: one more. This is from uh, Lewis Goldman, uh, who says he's elderly. Uh, With all the chicanery around the COVID jabs, um, you know, he's gotten the flu shots regularly. Should he consider not getting that anymore?
0: I'm not a licensed medical professional to make that kind of to make that kind of call. All right, I'll just say two things. I've never gotten a flu shot before, um, and. At the very least, moving forward for me, just speaking of my own. Now, I'm not in a high-risk category. I've lost a bunch of weight. I'm a lot younger than you, okay? But in general, for me, I'm asking a lot more questions and doing a lot more research before I just do anything new they want me to do or just assume anything old they told me to do is the right thing to do. I'll say that. That'll do it for today's program. We're back at it again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck, right here on Blaze TV. Until then, John 317.
2: This is Steve
0: Dace.
4: On the Blaze Radio Network.